Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I couldn't wait. And I can remember I would get to the radio and the last program that I would hear was one on money before it would launch into rock and roll. And what that man said has stayed with me ever since. And it was only until the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit that it get broken in my life. And here's what it said. Money is not important. But the people who have, have it are. And so then for 30 minutes, they talked about how to acquire more money because it's not about money, but the people who have it are the ones that are important. What a deadly philosophy that is. There's no threshold whenever you know you finally gained that money to be feeling important. You're always not important enough. So it says those who desire to be rich, not necessarily to have money, it's okay, we need to have money, you need to go to work, you need to save, you need to have a job that pays you adequately. But you can fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. We're going over that way too fast. You'll fall into. In other words, you don't realize that they're out there. You stumble into these things. You, You don't think that they're there, but they're there until you get into it. Then it says into many, underline that, many foolish and harmful lusts. Implying that there are good desires and there are bad desires, but this only brings on more. So if you lust for riches, then it's going to bring you lust for women, lust for power, lust for sex, lust for control. It goes on and on with this, but stay with me. Many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I've lived in beach communities, Southern California, Miami, and here. But I've never seen or heard of more people drowning than I have here in Hawaii. I think about this 20-something-year-old man who off the Hilton Hawaiian village, a Japanese tourist who drowned that took a couple of days before they could ever find his body. Now, kids, I don't want to be morbid, but I want you to feel physically what it does to you spiritually for just a moment. I got thinking because I surf and I get in the water, and I'm not a good surfer. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not even a great swimmer. And I'm thinking, you know, when I, when I get underwater, what is it like to drown? How desperate do you get for air and you can't get it and you're sucking in water and you know that moment that you're still conscious till you're unconscious till you're dead and you're in hell. I don't know what that little is, but just thinking about that for a moment. Now, if you think about that too long, it could make you nauseous. It could give you nightmares. But if you think about it just long enough to park on that, though, I want you to think that when you lust after money, it creates more lust that will drown you in stuff. And when you finally get drowned, how do you get rescued? Some of you right now, and maybe not in our church, but maybe listening on the radio, I don't know, but some of you are in the, you're drowning right now. You're gasping your last gasp. And God brought you this series right now to keep you from dying financially. But you've got to reach out to that preserver that he's providing for you. And I pray, because it's thrown to you in love, but yet passion. Well, it goes on to say, it says, drown men in destruction and perdition. That's a horrible way to go socially. Number three, it says, the desire leads to even more evil. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say the love of money is the root of all evil. It's a root of all different kinds of evil. Number four, 
The desire separates people. The desire, the love for riches separates people from God. And I'd like to add another thought. It also separates you from other people. Separates you from God. And when you're separated from God, you don't have an anchor. And when you don't have a relationship with Him, you often have mixed up relationships with other people. And I'm wondering if your finances right now and you're seeing that they're really hurting your marriages, they're hurting your families, your businesses. I wonder if somewhere in this equation is you're not right with God. And here's what it says as it goes further in the same passage. For which, that desire for more money and all that it gives, for which some have strayed from the faith, not from having faith and confidence, but from the faith that was once delivered to the saints, the body of truth. And what did it? Their greediness. So now you went from legitimately wanting to acquire funds to satisfy a need to now being greedy. And look at the last part of that verse. It says, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now in the Greek, now I know this is a morbid Sunday. I hope you still come back next week. But that was a word that was used where they would grab a knife, they would quickly thrust it into you, and then turn it and twist it. Now I'm so glad. I've had surgery three times in my life on my body. I'm so glad I did not have a doctor that said, <laughs> give me that scalpel. He was very kind with me. But I'm going to tell you that when you separate yourself from God through a worship of money, in this case a desire to be rich, you lose everything. It's quite painful. I'm going to give a name of somebody that some of you might have heard of in your life. I don't know. Maybe you have. His name is John Paul Getty. How many have ever heard of John Paul Getty? Young people, have you heard of John Paul Getty? How many of you heard of Bill Gates? Okay. Well, I'm not talking about Gates now. We know he's the richest man. I did some homework here, but I need you to know something about this Getty guy because I think it's going to help you as a real-life earthly example of someone who stepped over the line. Here was a guy whose father was a multi-multi-multi-millionaire. And Getty himself, in a phrase that said how he handled his finances, he basically said, I'm rich because my daddy was rich. And when you do a study here, you're going to find out his daddy had about $10 million to give away when he died. Getty's estate is worth $50.1 billion. So there's a lot that Getty got. But when you look at Getty's life, you're going to find a litany of illustrations that exactly fit this passage I've just read to you. And so you don't have to be a poor person that wants a lot of money. You can be a rich person who wants a lot more money. The whole desire is this passion, this lust for more. Well, Getty was born in 1892. He died in 1976. So listen carefully because I'm going to tell you a very painful story. But to follow this story of people, you have J. Paul Getty, one. I'm going to call him number one. Then you had a son, number two. And then you had a son, number three. All right, number one got a lot of his money from his dad and he parlayed that money through a lot of oil and gas with the Getty Oil Company that was then taken over by Chevron and a bunch of other things. But he made billions and billions of dollars. He was very, very stingy, very, very selfish with what he had and he only gave it away when it made him look good or perhaps would even give him more business. I'm keeping the story as short as I can. So as he went through this though, he ended up with five wives and one of his mantras of his life was... If you want to have a happy marriage, don't go into business. Another mantra of his life was this. He used to say, the meek will inherit the earth, but it's only 
those who will inherit the mineral rights that'll be rich because he was all after money now here's where the sad story goes I studied and I looked as much as I could through many biographies I googled all over the place and if you find this information give it back to me because I want to add to this story but I could not find one line about his spiritual relationship with God even if it was some kind of a bizarre liberal religion or cult I couldn't find nothing so the best as I can assume is that he had a religion his God was money power possessions fame and all of that but it certainly wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ God Almighty creator of the universe and you and me right now that being said let me tell you in 1973 he died in 76 a very old man late 70s his grandson number three he's number one son number two grandson number three was kidnapped when he was kidnapped they offered a ransom they wanted to have 17 million dollars given to him by Getty number two that would be the grandson's dad the grandson's dad did not have the money granddad said he's just wanting money he's this is a ploy my grandson is just doing this to get money out of us so he basically walked away when they chopped off the grandson's ear cut off some of his hair put it in an envelope and sent it back to the Getty family uh oh this may be real so now the father is begging the grandfather of the boy now I don't have 17 million dollars would you give me money and the grandfather said to him, I have no relationship with you unless with my grandson, so if I give you any money, I want you to pay it back 4% interest. Remember, it's all about loving money. What could I do to turn a buck? So the father said, I still don't have that kind of money. So then the grandpa said, I'm going to take over the negotiation. So behind the scenes, he negotiated with those people. It took over four to five months before the grandson was ever released. And they were able to negotiate it down from $17 million to $2 million. But he still had no relationship with his son or his grandson. His grandson was so traumatized that his grandson, still living today, is basically nothing more than a vegetable. He cannot hear, he cannot speak, he is completely blind, he is insane, and it's all because he ended up going into drugs because he put together an alcohol drug cocktail and drank that and his life is ruined. So what does granddad have? Absolutely no human relationship legacy. Oh yes, they have the Getty Museum and at his death he gave $660 million to just keep that museum going. But nothing for the basic needs of his family essentially nothing for the real real needs of others oh yes his name's on a museum and do we really need to see his antiquities and artwork I don't know there's some value in that I'm sure but certainly nothing to further the kingdom of God so that's J. Paul Getty well now we have to answer another question and this is the last one is that not the question but in answering of that question is God doesn't want us to love money because God gives critical consequences to those who do love money I'm going to just rattle through these very quickly because I don't want to beat you with these, but I want you to be waking up. Young people, it is not wrong to look for a job that pays you adequately to take care of the basic needs of life. Maybe God is going to richly bless you more than you've ever thought. But remember, it is He who has blessed you by the turn of events in your life. And now you take that and you receive it from the Lord as a healthy management, a stewardship, a, 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 a privilege to be able to take this acquired wealth, however you've done it properly of course and now say God you gave me more here it is here it is here it is perhaps to do more for you but here are the consequences if you love money and possessions more than you love and worship God number one you will deny God it goes on to say in Proverbs here it says give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with food allotted to me lest I be full 
and deny you. So give me just enough so I can depend upon you, just enough so I can uh, celebrate and praise you. But I don't want to be so full that I deny you. And then finally say, who is the Lord anyway? I did this. And I put that last in myself. Or if you go on into Job, at the end of his life, he said, if I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you're my confidence. In other words, I don't need anybody. I don't need God. My money will get me out of this thing. If I rejoice because of my wealth was great, and because my hand had gained all this, this also would be an iniquity, deserving of judgment. Why? For I would have denied God who is above. Do you see how forgetting and denying God often go with the element of pride? I did this. I got all of this. Instead of realizing it came to me. And those of you that are, going to be, that are poor now, but you are going to inherit an estate and get a lot of money, then you thank God that you had relatives or loved ones that God blessed or permitted to have, and somehow that money was funneled to you, so it still got to you because of God. So we don't want to deny God, so be very careful of loving money. The state of California almost denied God. In 1957, the legislature got together with 27 of their legislators, and they were deciding how they would want to change the motto of the state. The motto of the state was, in God we trust. They wanted to change the motto to, Eureka, I found it. You know how that came to be? Because that was the big cry when they found gold in 1848 and 1849. And it was all about gold. So they wanted to change the motto of the state. Denying God. Thank the Lord that 20 said we're not going to change it. Number two, resting on uncertain foundations. God will bless you, but even if you have a little bit of money, don't count on your money to be able to bail you out. You use the money as a tool that God has given to you to accomplish what he wants in your life, but you don't look to it to be your savior. You look to the Lord. goes on to say here, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say command those who are rich in this present age to give all their money away and be poor. No, it doesn't say that. It just says don't be braggadocious about it nor to trust in uncertain riches, but you trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Oh, that's such a great verse. I like Proverbs 23, 4, and 5 that says, don't overwork to be rich. How many are working so hard and they just need to work a little bit more for more money? I know sometimes we have to have many jobs, multiple streams of income to take care of our basic needs, but some put in way too many hours. And you do it because of your own understanding, not because of God's understanding. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away like eagle toward heaven. How many have ever played the game Monopoly? Raise your hand. Anybody play Monopoly? Remember that little card, and you got that little guy with a mustache on there, and there's a dollar bill, or there's a money there, and it has wings on it. It looks like it's flying away. How many remember that card? Okay, you play Monopoly, all right? Every time I see this verse, I think of my money can take wings and fly away. But nothing became more real than when I looked at the limited amount of investments that Carol and I have as it took a turn for the worst over the last 18 months in our own economy in the United States. How many of you would be humble and yet safe enough to admit you've lost money in some of your investments in this last 18-month period? Would you raise your hand? Okay, you put your hands down. Now, let me just say something. I do not want you to feel guilty that you've lost your money. You have to decide what was your motive for doing it. Did you do your homework and your investments? Some of that we definitely cannot control. But I am saying this. Use it as a teachable moment to remind you that we do not put our confidence in the uncertainty of riches because it could be gone in a second. We thank God for what came in. We thank God for what went out. But at the same time, we praise Him because He'll take care of our needs. Number three. Loving money can also lead to being deceived and ineffective. It talks about the word of God that was thrown out over the soil, over the ground. 
And it fell on different types of ground, and it talks about how it sprang back. And here it says, And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and that's a good phrase, riches are deceitful, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word. So I'm wondering how many times our quest for more money keeps us out of God's word every day. We're so busy doing stuff that are involved with money, making it or keeping it or spending it, and it keeps us from a quiet time in God's Word, keeps us from being faithful in Sunday morning worship, keeps us away from being in small groups or having the time to be trained to go on to another level spiritually to have a greater impact by our lifestyle, not just our bucks for the world. And so we have to be very careful of that because riches and having them and acquiring more can be very deceitful and will make the Word of God ineffective in our heart. And finally, being proud. Being proud can do that as well. At the very end of Deuteronomy 8, that whole chapter says, Don't forget God, don't forget God, lest you forget God. And then it ends with this. God who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, talking about the children of Israel going through that desert experience into the promised land, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions. And by the way, how many of you had this morning with our kids a fiery serpent on a stick, on a pretzel stick this morning? How many had one of those? They're, they're so good. Chocolate on the end, a stick there with a gummy bear worm at the top of it. I took a small one, but I have to tell you, I'm so glad for our teachers teaching our kids through a little object lesson, a deeper truth of Jesus Christ, and you look to him as our savior. But there are fiery serpents out there that devoured them when they didn't look to the Lord. And those fiery serpents are in our life, but they're perhaps in how we use our money. But it goes on and says this, who brought water for you out of the flint rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not even know, that he might humble you. And then he might test you to do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, how could you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's what's going to happen. We have to be very, very careful for that. So I want to end this right now by simply saying this. Is it wrong to have money? No. Is it wrong to love money? The answer is yes. And so what you have to do is to take this message, go through it very carefully through, first of all, not your finances. Don't take your checkbooks out. Don't take your, your, your QuickBooks out and your money management things. What you want to do right now is lay your mind and your heart bare before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to run these principles through the grid of my thinking and my heart. Because all this money and how I spend and what I do with my money, that's just an outward sign of my value system. And I want you to know that God loves you so much. And some of you, I, I, I hope for just a moment that there would be a sting of guilt for you that don't know Christ especially, that you would see for just a moment that you have misused God's money, that you've misspent it, your motives are wrong, whatever it was, and just let that guilt for just a moment drive you to grace, that God says, I know you've blown it. Every man, woman, boy and girl, husband and wife, that knows to do good and doesn't do it. They've sinned. They know it. But I love you. And I'm willing to take all your sin on myself. All your missed money management. All your greed. All your bitterness. All your rationale. That was wrong in how you used the money. Your ignorance even. Because many people did it without any good sound Bible teaching. And God says, I still love you. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take all your sin on myself. I'm going to pay for it all with my blood. Rose again from the dead. Which he did. And he says, now the sin ticket, the forgiveness ticket was paid for by me on the cross for you. And he says, all you do now is to come to me. 
So it's not by promising God you'll give more money or you'll make more money differently or you'll not love money. Those are all good things to do, by the way, but those things won't get you to heaven. Here, it's trust in a living God. And so what you're going to do now is say, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is alive forevermore and I am placing my faith in Him as the one who died and rose again. And I know now that what He's going to do is He's going to give me the ability to now look at what He's given to me, my ability to acquire funds, my ability then to manage them, to disperse them, and now I'm going to do it in a right way because my finances that have been on the edge are now going to be on solid ground. And that's the way you do it. You come before the Lord. Let's pray, shall we, as a family? Let's do that with a private time. Just between you and the Lord right now, maybe say something like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I messed up some of this stuff. I know I may be not like that wealthy man named Getty, but I know that in my own way that I've let money divide relationships. I've been ugly with my mate. I've been spending too much time trying to acquire more money or thinking that money is what's going to bail me out. And I forgot about God. I also have had a perverted view thinking that all money was sin and it's not. That there are wealthy people in the Bible that use their wealth properly like Joseph of Arimathea and even Nicodemus when he needed to do something he come to the Lord. And so Lord I want to thank you for those examples. But Lord I'm also sometimes like Achan who saw things and I stole it. Or Sapphira and Ananias who lied and didn't do what we said we were going to do so we lied to others. And oh, Father, how many times we sold out Christianity and Jesus Christ and God for a few extra bucks like Judas Iscariot did. And in many ways, Lord, I'm like that. But Lord, I'm coming to you now for my full forgiveness. I don't want to go down this path any longer. So I'm now turning to you as the Lord who died on the cross and paid for my sins. And right now, Lord, I want to thank you for paying for my sin. I want to thank you that going to heaven is by faith alone and not by good deeds. I realize that if I do not trust you as Savior, I will spend an eternity separated from you in the place with this notorious gang of liars and thieves like Achan and Balaam and Judas Iscariot and others because I'm a sinner and I rejected the payment you made for me on the cross. Lord, I know now that even my money, should I give it all to you, will perish with me if I think good deeds will get me there because then I'm denying what you did for me on the cross. And I'm not going to do that. I'm coming to you just as I am a sinner. Now, folks, we're not talking about a Baptist thing here. We're not talking about any religion. We're talking about a relationship with Christ. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven by faith alone in Christ? If you want to know that, Jesus said, He that believes on me has right now everlasting life. And that's a God who cannot lie. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand now in a moment. When you do that, that uplifted hand will be only from those who are saying to me silently, without standing up, coming forward, you're silently saying, Pastor, Stan, I'm ready to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm accepting Jesus Christ. I know He is God. I know all about Jesus. But now I know Him as my Savior. He's forgiven me of my greedy sins, of the things that I have done wrong, the poison I put into my family and relationship and life. And I'm now coming to him by faith. And I know now my sins are forgiven. I'm heaven bound because of what he said in the word. Because I've accepted Christ who died and rose again for me as my Savior. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege that you've given to us. First of all, to live and 
one of the most expensive cities in the United States and maybe the world, on one of the most expensive islands in the United States to live, in an island that is so challenged culturally and economically and employment-wise, and that, Father, that we become sometimes the most challenged place in the United States. And yet, Father, it doesn't matter because you put us here to be a witness for you. And, Father, the first thing we want to do is have a pure heart toward you. And then, Father, what we want to have is you to help us get our finances and our possessions and the things that are really yours. It's not my money, it's your money. It's not my house, it's your house. It's not my car, it's your car. It's not my job, it's your job that we're now doing with you. And so, Lord, help us to do that as a testimony to the world around us on this island that, Father, you can sustain life. You want us here. We'll have a good life of ministry. And when you're ready to move us off island, we're ready to go. We're your servant. We'll go where you want us to go. We'll do what you want us to do. We'll be what Christ is. And so, Lord, use us as a witness here as this church. And Father, bless these dear people in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.